necessary. Alright. Alright. What are we going to do here? We're good do we have go. a podcast? Wait, you are we still on the air? Introduce us, Mr. Bruce Foreman. <clears throat> okay, I'd like to introduce us, Mr. Bruce Foreman. And? And hello, guitar wankers out there. You know, I find there are three kinds of wankers in the world. There's P-wankers, there's D-wankers, and there's C-wankers. You have to decide which one you are. There's the pentatonic wanker, <laughs> there's the diatonic wanker, and the chromatic wanker. I suggest you become all three. And with that, we head out down the road for another episode in What Happens When Guitar Players Aren't Working Gigs. <laughs> Welcome to Guitar Wink. I'd like to introduce a man you know him, you love him, you probably hate him too, Troy McCubbin. Ain't that the truth. Yeah. So, Troy, I hear we have a Patreon site. Now. You know what? And um, I got a lovely email from Thomas Fraser. Fraser. And he jumped on the Barney Kessel pick promotion. Oh, right. Yeah, we, we did, ladies and gentlemen. I was down in San Diego earlier this week playing, actually did a great concert, had really a lot of fun playing the music of the Dave Pell Octet. I don't know if anybody knows about this music, but it was a band of kind of a West Coast thing. Dave Pell was a real fanatic about Lester Young, and long before even... Even before Super Sax, which was a band that did Charlie Parker solos in a sax section. Super Sax or Sex? Super, well, Soup. soup. <laughs> uh, and Super Sax was a band that did Charlie Parker solos, harmonized for a, uh, they were in the 70s. They were, you know, quite famous band and great. Uh, Dave Pell's band did Lester Young solos for three tenors and a trumpet and a Barry sax. Right. And, um... And there were great arrangements done by arrangers like Marty Page and Bill Holman, you know, guys who went on to huge careers. And uh, there was a, we did a, we played that music down in San Diego for, for a live radio show uh, oh, this week. What was the radio show? Uh, it's the whatever the jazz radio station is down in San Diego. I don't know if it was recorded. It might have been. Um, Are they going to re? Was it going live? It or was they, live. Oh, they're going to replay they, they it? They may replay it. So if those of you will probably do Jazz Radio San Diego, you'll probably find out what's okay. happening. But it was a great show. Meanwhile, I, whenever I'm down in San Diego, I always go and visit Phyllis Kessel because, uh, as, you, as some of you might know, I was pretty tight with Barney. And Phyllis is his widow, and she's kind of like my stepmom in many ways. I just love her. And uh, I was visiting, and... She's since sold some of uh, Barney's stuff, but she just said, you know, I got a bag full of picks. She says, do you want them? And I said, sure. And it, Barney must have bought a whole bunch of picks, you know, at some point. And uh, he had a stroke and stopped playing. And she's had him around for all these years. And so she gave it to me, to us. And I said, yeah, I knew it. Well, why don't we just give it to wankers? I mean, everybody wants a couple of Barney's picks. They don't say Barney Kessel on them or anything, but I, I will prove that they are what they are, what they say they are. Right. And, um, figure, hey, join Patreon. Send us a stamp, self-addressed envelope. We'll send you some Barney picks. We'll send you some guitar wing picks. You know what the hell? You know, that's pretty cool. I don't. Don't you think that's fair? 
I think that's really cool. I'm curious. Give me a little bit of background on, on Barney and your relationship with him. Wow. Uh, what way? Um, now, you said he had a stroke. What age did he have a stroke at? He had a stroke probably in the 60s, I guess. I mean, this is when? In the early 90s. Early 90s. Well, you, you were obviously hanging with him and pretty tight with him then. Yeah, fairly. I mean, yep. yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd played a lot over the years, you know. Right. I, mean, I spent more time with him when I was younger. And had like how did the stroke affect him oh it was a really massive stroke really bad so it just stopped his playing altogether oh yeah i mean stopped his walking oh stopped fuck. his talking but then he was like in rehab phyllis was like such an amazing wife you know right. and support and and with therapy and stuff he was coming back really he even came to one of my gigs in san francisco right and uh this would have been like the mid 90s late 90s and you know he was coming back i mean was still kind of in a wheelchair but not really i mean you know like he could kind of walk with a walker for a little while yeah you know and he, he wasn't really talking but you could understand him you yeah know? and uh, and he could say some words it, it was really hard for him. how didn't did you ever get to talk with him um i mean just what it feel like for, Oh, I guess anyone that has such a passion for music and such an amazing player like barney yeah to be stopped like that, like just the mental well, fucking... Well, we, we couldn't talk about it. He couldn't converse. Right. So, uh, I can only imagine what that felt like. Yeah. Um, we went through that with my mother, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's tough, man, you know, and he just... Uh, and he was coming back. Yeah. And then uh, he was really doing well, and then, bam, he had another bad one. Oh, shit. He just went down again. Really? And then some cancer, I think, of the brain. Right. In, and that's what kind of ended everything. Yeah. But Phyllis, unbelievably, you know, maybe 15, 20 years of really infirmity. She was just his support. And she worked. She's an editor of a magazine, like San Diego Home and Garden. Oh, know, wow. like that. Okay. So she was really a dynamo, but really took care of business and was just boy and she i mean to this day you talk about barney and she just loves to talk about barney you know and loves the music and loved him and now t talk about barney back when he was what was well, we, what was know, barney known as a player for for he was like the i mean you know he won the downbeat readers poll for jazz guitar for like four or five years in a row in the late 50s wow early 60s uh, he was probably the most well-recorded jazz guitarist in L.A. I mean, he didn't record as much as, like, you know, the the Tommy Tedesco and that stuff. Right. But he was in the Wrecking Crew. He was part, oh, he of, was the part of the early, Wrecking Crew. Early yep. part of that. Yeah, he was in there doing that when they had lots of guitars. Him and Howard Roberts and stuff. Yep. Um, as it moved more towards rock, they kind of were less involved. Yeah. You know, but but before that, all those West Coast jazz recordings... And even some on the East Coast before that. I mean, he was 14 or something. He was playing with Benny Goodman, I think. And he knew Charlie Christian because he's from Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And uh, Artie Shaw. I know yep. he played with Artie Shaw like at 14 or something. <laughs> was on the road with that. And um, he's, you know, what is he known for? He was really a fiery swinging player. Uh, really harmonically advanced. Uh, not the cleanest player. Mm -hmm. He would, you know, some people didn't like how 
they would even call him sloppy. I don't. I would not call right. him sloppy. But there was some real funk in there. You right. Know? And him really going for shit, not always executing cleanly. Yeah. Uh, and he was very physical player. I mean, you'll see from those picks how thick they are. He was just yeah, they're huge. You know, and that guitar he played, and that one guitar he played, pretty much his whole career. You know, it was like an ES three fifty with a Charlie Christian pickup in it. And uh, but I met him. He came up to San Francisco, and they somebody put me on like a guitar gig with him. You know, me and him in the rhythm section. How was how old were you then? Oh, maybe twenty. And how old Barney? At that time, he was probably in his 50s. Wow, wow. And it, Maybe, that, yeah. that must have been a pretty huge gig for you, like to play with someone like that. Or like you oh, obviously yeah. knew oh, him. Yeah, I was, I was super stoked to do it, yep. you know. And Barney was real competitive, and so was I. <laughs> so you were a cocky little bastard. Yeah, of course yep. I was. I was there. I mean, I was going to do the best I could. Yep. You know, and I wasn't going to go down easy. <laughs> I love that. And uh, whoops, I think I lost, oh, my, lost my mic here. I hope everybody heard all that. Yeah, we can bump that. Okay. Um, um, and yeah, and so what? And then there was like some European tours that they did this thing where there, you know, there'd be a an established guy, and they'd bring a young guy to play with him. And I did one with Barney. Yeah. Where we toured around festivals in Europe. Oh wow! Where uh, where we it was just me and him, and we'd play some doing some solo, and then uh, we had the rhythm section. We used Dexter Gordon's rhythm section. Wow! To back us up, you know, for part of the set, and um, so we got pretty close then. But yep. I mean, he picked me. Really? Like they called him and said, "We're running da 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 da. We want to get. We want to pair you with a young guy. Who do you want?" He said, get Bruce Foreman. So that's, you know, and then over the years, I'd, he'd come to San Francisco. We played gigs together, you know. I'd do some stuff in L.A. And, uh, and we just stayed in touch, and I yeah. loved him. And and he, like I say, during his stroke period, he came into my gig at San Francisco and uh, hung out yeah. and listened to the band. I remember he like stood up and kind of gave me a standing ovation. It was really cool. And then I went over to talk to him and he just looked at me and he managed to say, more chords. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I went, no, that, no, right. No, he didn't give me a standing. He just, you know, he just bought, and I, he said more chords. And then I went back. Right. And when we played, the first song, I only played chord solos. I didn't even play any lines. Oh, really? You know, I just, like, did, did a, did did a full-on chord thing. And that's when he, like, stood up and looked at me and kind of gave me a standing ovation. That's he knew awesome. I was fucking with him. Yeah. You know? Now, when, when you guys first met and first started playing, was there a, was it like, you know, the young kid, I'm going to... I'm going to show you, Grandpa. Oh, I and really, that kind I of mean, thing. I was going in to do my best. I had no aspirations of showing him anything right. but just keeping uh, up yeah and, and occasionally give give him a whooping if i could you yeah. know but and, but he gave it like he tried to put he you was, in his oh spot. yeah he was not yeah he was not like being the cool old guy and letting the young one just you know do it no he was he was he was a fiercely intense competitive guy really yeah, and not in a bad way. No, just, I no. mean, you know, like all of us, I mean, really when you're competing, you're almost competing against yourself, not yep. anybody else, because right. you just want to be better and more and get deeper into the music yeah. every moment. Yep. So it's just a beautiful thing. And uh, But, you know, yeah, if you're, a, if you're a 
pussy he would he would bowl you over you're dead you know and i'm not you know so right. i mean if anything i'm i'm in the extreme on the other side yeah so yeah uh but so, it was great and you guys must now and i'm very i mean in a lot of ways he was very instrumental you know i mean <laughs> pun intended uh in in ways that i play but yep. at the same time I really feel like I kind of got the information from the same place he did. Right, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was great to hear him. I love the way, for instance, if you hear Barney Kessel records compared to, like, the other guys of that time, they're much more involved. They're considered West Coast jazz, but, you know, the arranging is a, a lot more intricate. Uh, the harmonic, the arrangements, you know, are... are uh, they're they're more uh, developed. He kind of more of a compositional, you know, like it wasn't just playing tunes kind of thing. Yeah. With, with some hits in it, you know, there's reharmonizations, there's little interludes, there's ensemble stuff to be played. Yeah. And that was part of the West Coast scene, but Barney was really a big part of developing that. But really, when you hear it that way, and, and you just step back, if you listen to Count Basie. A lot of that's already there, mm -hmm. just maybe stretched out, you right. know, and and uh, embellished upon. Yeah, and and, and you know, you the same. You could say the same for Oscar Peterson. A lot of the conceptual way that 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 trio played, as much as it was all these things, a lot of those same basic philosophies came out of the Count Basie and Duke Ellington, but particularly Count Basie bands, right. And you know Ahmad Jamal, and even the my, the first Miles Davis, you know he, he made no bones about them taking like the shed, the things that they called their ensemble stuff. That was all like shout choruses derived. And Red Garland, he definitely a lot of the background things he played with the rhythm section behind Miles were actually things that you can trace back to the Count Basie band. So Barney, you know, so I mean, as much as Barney was an inspiration on that, I kind of got more of it from Count Basie's band than right. Barney. Yep. But to hear Barney do it was like, you know, sort of illuminating. And again, Barney was really into Bird, and I was really into Bird. So you know, I, it's easy to see why he liked me. Yeah. Did he? Did he know Bird? Yes, I'm pretty sure he played with Bird. Yeah. Although I know they never recorded. Right. Okay. As far as I know, someone may be able to prove that wrong. Right? Did, it, did you, you have a lot of sitting, hanging, hanging around, and picking his brain about all those yeah, stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. especially during that tour, we were like inseparable. I mean, it was like a week or longer where we were together almost every waking moment, yeah. talking about stuff. And uh, you know, like he didn't like Coltrane. He didn't like Coltrane. And there was one of the bands on the tour with us, a guy named Billy Harper, which was very Coltrane-inspired music. Right. Great. It was great. Yeah. And uh, I remember trying to explain to him why this music was so epically great. Right. And to Barney's credit, he really heard me out. And when we'd play, after we'd play, because Billy's band would come on after us, Barney would go out in the audience and he would like listen to it like he was studying it. Right. I mean, you know, and, and, like he really want he heard what I said and then he wanted to check out what I said and what it meant and 
You know what I mean? Because I guess to him originally it just sounded like a bunch of stuff. You know, right. nothing really organized or with intent. Yeah. And uh, tried to point out how the drums interact with Train and how the, you know he developed various you know particularly this this the the school that Billy Harper was playing at was more the Love Supreme era right and past that so I was kind of explained how you know conceptually that all worked and why it was so great and I don't recall Barney ever saying yeah I love that or that's great but I do remember him hearing me out mm -hmm. and doing the homework right that's the kind of guy he was right so um, when when you guys were trip playing then was he was he at his peak you think or was he yeah i would say it was at his peak conceptually sure you know i mean how do you know if a 60 year old guy is or a 50 year old guy is he as good as when he was 40 or 30 you know i mean i can tell you right now i'm 60 physically i'm not as good as i was probably in my 30s but definitely i'm a way better player mm -hmm. you know i mean i just I got a lot of chops still, but I don't have the chops I had when I was 30. Right. There's just a certain way the brain fires and the hands move. Yeah. And. Uh, but you you would say. It, I would say Barney experience. was strong, totally right. strong. Wasn't like he'd gotten sloppy because he was older. I mean, he was. All, I mean, all that the, was his vibe. That was his thing. He was. Yep. He was just throwing that shit out, <laughs> man. And, you know, and I like that. Yeah. You know, don't give me some guy playing all careful, man. Yeah. You know, I mean. I mean, that works in certain situations, but if you're playing, if you're creating in the moment, you know, you should not be worried about making mistakes. You yeah. should be worried, you should be concerned with what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think when you say that, I think of a lot of players that not only play jazz, but other players that I love that do that. You can tell they're not being kept, they're kind of going for it all the time. Like, <laughs> like for Blue Side, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. He seemed to be always or going for it. Yeah. You know, those kind of guys. But yeah. That's cool. And, and was, Wes, too. I mean, yeah. Wes was a lot more... Wes nailed a lot more stuff than Barney did. Mm -hmm. But in, in many ways, he didn't try to do a lot of that stuff that Barney was doing. Right. You know, uh, in Barney's defense. Was, and, but then there's a guy like Johnny Smith who, like, I don't think he ever chipped a note in his life. Right. It's like, and it's amazing. Yeah. It's great, you know, so... With, did Barney... He know um, Wes... Did they? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, they yeah. get the hang hang. And I'm sure they did. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Was he? Was Barney? Did he like to drink? No, he didn't drink. Barney didn't drink. No. No. Oh wow. Barney was a very intense guy. He could be very uh, impatient with people and downright rude. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't suffer. Anything, anybody he considered a fool, it, it was not pretty. It could be embarrassing. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he was a hard ass. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, there I was at the house. Now I've got the pics, and that's pretty much the last of the stuff she has. She's donated a lot of it to uh, the University of Missouri, Kansas City. They mm -hmm. have kind of an archive there. And she sold some of the stuff, and um, so it's pretty much gone. You know, I mean, she's getting to an age, she's in her, you know, yep. she's going to have to move out of her house to some other place, and it's just a bunch of stuff to carry around. Yep. And it's true of all of us, man. The memories are the memories. You know, it's not the physical objects. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, it's nice to have the pictures. They're fairly easy to carry around, yeah. you know. Now, but the guitar, you said... The, the guitar got sold at auction. Right. And I actually talked to the guy who bought it, and I'm going to see him in Colorado next week. He's a, obviously a Barney fan. Yes. Yeah. So yes, he, and he just got lucky. I hate to say this. You're right. But... Um, I was under the impression that this thing was going to go for a hundred grand easy. Yep. You know, I mean, this guitar is the guitar that played Crimea, the you know, Crimea River, mm -hmm. the Julie London hit. I mean, and every record, all the poll winners' records, all the all those amazing records Barney did, all those recordings Barney. He played one guitar pretty much his whole career. For a couple years, he played like a K that they, or I mean, a aria or something that that they kind of made a Barney and he didn't really like it he went back to his Gibson you know I was even on the road with him when in Australia when it got the neck got broken oh it got broken yeah uh, was it Qantas or Air New Zealand wouldn't <laughs> made him check it and then Fuck. and then the neck they broke. were assholes back then too yeah oh yeah fucking assholes and so uh, but I mean I figured that guitar would go for huge amounts of money yeah right. so i didn't even bother trying to buy it from phyllis because yep. she needs the money you know and she's a widow she's on social security you know uh let's face it thanks to spotify and everything there ain't many royalties coming down the road yeah, anymore right. so um uh and then she had this auction house do it and they did a really shitty job yeah they didn't advertise it right. And they didn't let people know, and she's not really, you know, she's she's not really great with the internet and everything yep, and course. the social media thing. And so uh, this guy said he just sort of showed up <laughs> and saw it and just put in a kind of a lowball bid, thinking he might get it. Wow! And he got. And it. he got it. I mean, for what for what he paid for it, I probably would have paid, but for sure. What she ended up getting after the auction company took their cut, I would have paid more than that. Yeah, yeah. And I should kind of have it, to be honest with you. Or, you know, me or Howard Alden or, yeah. you know, some, some of these guys who really loved him and knew him. Yeah. I would think uh, should have that guitar. This mean, in, the, in the meantime, this guy supposedly has made a really cool, like, tri uh case like a tribute to him you know yeah right. you know you put a case and he's got some of his records in it and it's a real nice little shrine but no. and, and he's looking he's not a young man and he's looking for the right place or like a museum that will take oh, it okay to put it so, so he's got the right intention he's cool right and i always had this idea to do this record that i we never did mm -hmm. but like like i had access to barney's guitar uh, i know where shelly mann's drums from those Pole Winners records were right, and um, John Clayton I think knows where the bass. John Clayton has one of Ray Brown's basses, but the original one that Ray Brown used is I think owned by some guy up in Canada. Right. But what I wanted to do is, you know, how everybody does tribute records, they end up like playing the music from that record. I just wanted to get the instruments from that record together. You yeah. can do like with John Clayton and Jeff Hamilton, and. Uh, and we just get, and do what they did because with these poll winners records, basically every time they won the downbeat poll, yep. they just went into the studio and made a record, and they just kind of make it. But these guys, like like every one of them, Shelley, Ray, 
and Barney, like I said, were strictly out of that kind of that out of that bassy school, that Oscar Peterson school, where you know you don't just play a tune; right. you, you you put a twist on it. You yeah. know, we'll do this, then we'll do this, then we'll do a little ensemble here. You know, they just work it out and record it and do it. And like in a day or two, they make a record every, wow. and they did it for like four years in a row because they all won. Yeah, when the West Coast jazz scene was really big. Yeah, it late it was like I think fifty-seven, fifty-eight, fifty-nine, and sixty. Wow. That maybe I'm like missing a year. It might be sixty one instead of fifty seven, something like that. Yeah. Um and so that was my idea when she still had the guitar to do that and and, and we found the drums and we were ready and we just kinda, you know, just sort of fell off the well, table. We all got busy. You think you might revamp? Oh, this? I'm sure this guy would let me use yeah. it for that. You know, they did that with um I think Steve Warner did that I can't remember the other guitarists, but they did that with Chet Atkins and Les Pauls guitars uh-huh. they went and got their guitars and i think steve warren had talked about this really weird thing that happened when he opened the case something that chet always used to do and there was no way this could have been done and it was it was done like he was like it was really eerie like chet was here you know uh-huh. he got that vibe that chet yeah, was there man right. well but um that would be really cool it'd be really fun to do that right? um you know now i mean the drums are up in oregon or washington and right now the guitar is in colorado and i mean they're they're spreading out you know so um but it would be fun to do but anyways this guy got it and he got a he got a slamming deal on it but he's not looking to make a lot of money on it he's just uh right you know he's looking to and i'll see him next week in, in colorado that's true so. take Take a picture of the guitar. Well, I don't think I'll see the guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he'll just come to my come gig. Come to see, come to the gig. Man, you know what? Hearing, hearing all these stories is so cool. I, I love, I love the history of this stuff. I know, stuff, man. man. Well, you know that's, and that that runs into a special guest today that you're bringing on. Right, right. Well, the people will find out because yep. it'll be on the next episode. So we don't want to blow anybody's bubbles. But yep. um, you know, it's like You've, a, a, a lot of no. I'm cool. Yeah. Oh, you got it. Yep. A lot of a lot of the reasons we do things, you know, play certain kinds of music. You know, I think have to do with that. It's not just that the sound we love the sound. I mean, I think we love the people and the history and the atmosphere that the music is played in. Like, why did a guy like me, my age, from exactly where I'm from, play what I play? Yeah. It makes no sense. You didn't do it for the money. I was in, well, I was in San Francisco <laughs> in like the late 60s. Yeah. Think about what was happening there. Now, there was a great jazz scene there. Right. But Why compared, would, compared to, I mean, think scene. about what was happening there and yeah. my age. Yeah. You were right amongst it. And, 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 and uh, but the jazz, I mean, for, of course, the sound of it got me. But then, you know, I got to meet the people that did it. <clears throat> I hung out in the places it was played. And that just all seemed so much cooler to me, you know what I mean? Did the other scene, like I'm talking about the rock scene, and we're, we're going back then, we're, we're, what, we got Hendrix and Janis Joplin and that kind of... I don't know if Hendrix was, I'm sure he was around San Francisco, I never saw him at that time. Right, who else? But, you know, Janis and the Grateful Dead and, and Quicksilver Messenger Service and Steppenwolf and, um, and the Credence and right. Jefferson Airplane and... Uh, and the and the Sons of Champlin were just an amazing band then. Yep. Uh, all those bands were San Francisco bands. So that scene and the whole 
free love scene too and the drug yeah, scene yeah. and all that kind of well, stuff not that i didn't partake in some of that <laughs> right but, um, but it was did that seem kind of like maybe what someone like my age would look at the pop rock scene now i mean it's hard to compare but i kind of look at it and go god I, there's nothing in that scene i want to be a part of i'd rather go do something else well, was it know, that kind of vibe i don't know um no not quite not quite you just thought it was a little boring but, well because um yeah i mean i was i guess i mean definitely the jazz musicians were very well aware of the rock scene stuff, and some guys were doing both. Right. You know, like were they doing Charlie it? Watts, look at him with oh, the stones. Okay. You right. Know? So some guys were doing it both. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, and it definitely the drug culture just sort of, you know, morphed, you know, and, and of course the, the way the, the, you could call it free love, people loosening their inhibitions about sexuality. Yeah. That was not just rock. That was pervasive throughout the whole culture. Now, like chicks you back then, I mean? were chicks and like were you getting with chicks around the jazz scene, or were they like, "Nah, man, I'm I'm all about that." This you mean women? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't want to be me tooed out of this gig. Uh, <laughs> I think they're gonna have to go back every episode, and we're screwed yeah, if yeah, they yeah. go back. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, no, it was a way more different people. Right. You know, but some people liked both, and right. everybody was around. Yeah. You know, and you, you walk down the street, one's a rock club, it's a jazz club. You know, I mean, it's it's not like there was one end of town where only the jazz was something, <laughs> right. and one end of town. I mean, it was all around everywhere. Right. And people that were into music were just into music. It was way different than, than it is now. Definitely the rock concert thing kind of built into something different but there was still a lot of club action happening yeah. on both things yeah. but for me I don't know I just liked the music better and I liked the people better and we had plenty of the drugs and wildness yeah. of the rock roll scene and the jazz scene yeah right so that really if that had been the driving force I'd have been happy either way right but it was like you know, you, you know, the, just hanging with these guys and the stories they tell and the people. And, you know, I mean, that was definitely a jazz thing. You know, this is a type of music that had 30 years of, of history to it already. Right, yeah. You know, or more. Yep. And, and the guys all knew it. And, you know, and everybody, and you had various generations <clears throat> interacting, yep. which you didn't really have in rock. Right. No. Rock, it was a specific age group. Yeah. And it was just older than me. You know, I wasn't really of that age. Yeah. Like, I'd have to be about another five, eight years older to really be smack dab in the center of the, those guys. Which guys? Because, like, I was 12 or 13. I was 12 and 68. Okay. In 68, those guys were in their 20s. Yeah, okay. So it's like a 20, a 10-year difference, yeah. an 8, 10-year difference. Maybe somewhere in their late teens or right around 20. Right. So you can see, I mean, <clears throat> that... Uh, that I was a little behind them anyways. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I just, but why? I mean, I think a lot of it was the culture, just the people and the clubs. Right. The way they were. Yeah. I mean, the jazz club, you know, was kind of a more, it was wild, but it, was, it wasn't really uh, chaotic. Mm. You know what I mean? There was a lot of older guys kind of, you know, you didn't. You, you didn't just completely go berserk, right? Uh, because you, you know, there was a certain levels of okay, we can really take it pretty far out, but 
then we stop. You know? Right. And and if you want to stay a part of the community, you don't. You know. So I guess those things I found attractive, and and there were a lot more older women, mm-hmm. which I liked. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and you must have stood out like a sore thumb, being so tall, right? Yeah, I'm not that tall, but yeah, I'm taller than most of the guys. Yeah. yeah. And I had long hair. I still had long hair. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When did you start rocking the mustache? I've had it pretty much You're my born. Whole life. You're yeah. born I mean, with I've the got a picture of when I was like five. I, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. You. This is where Tom Selleck got his idea from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He stole my shit. <laughs> Bruce Foreman. <laughs> Magnum PI. That's awesome. It just seems like, especially now, what society is <laughs> turning into, which is shit. It really is. <laughs> I think society is well, turning you into know, sh- but every, shit. Every, you know, what makes us different than every other, every other generation? I mean, when I, I can tell you, when I was then yep. talking to those guys, some of those guys, the older guys, they said the same thing. Right. Every, I think every generation, every generation just said that. So, yeah. and, and maybe every generation's right. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact is, is I think that's normal. My feeling, you know, and it's something I kind of wanted to talk about on the show, but because we you know, had guests or Scott or whatever, you know, we never really got into it lately. It's like, my concern is kind of, you know, especially as I get older <laughs> and I think about, you know, leaving all this shit behind. Right. Uh, not not in a Joe Bonamassa sense of retiring, but in a in a sense of expiring. <laughs> um, why are people do playing this music? You know, I mean, I deal with a lot of modern jazz. That's mm. kind of the world I get thrown into because I'm teaching jazz at a university. Yeah, and uh, of course, I'm, I definitely go and listen to all the, what all the guys are new guys are playing because I'm interested yeah. and I love the music. And it just seems to me that the music is, 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 is escalating this evolution towards um, extremely complex, extremely virtuosic, and kind of, I don't know, disconnected. You know mm. what I mean? Like, the music's only being played for themselves and other musicians. Right. And um, there's no real attempt at contrasting simplicity with complexity there's you know i mean there's doesn't appear to be too much concern about the emotional content of the music it doesn't seem to really be connected to the world around it i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe i just don't see the world the way they see it but you know i'm looking at these kids i know them i i i'm not only their guitar teacher in my school i'm their shrink Mm -hmm. you know i mean the only time they're with an adult alone practically and they're 19 years old some of them right and so it's like there's a lot of shit in the world here i mean to worry about you Mm -hmm. know there's a lot of conflict right now there's a lot of political strife and tribalism there's a lot of uh repression you know religious and otherwise there's um economic challenges you know that are really extreme and i'm not hearing any of that being addressed musically either right and, you know and i'm not finding an environment of inclusivity where like you know okay yeah i played jazz but you know i mean i want everybody to hear it yeah yeah so i don't want to like i don't want to like push everybody else away and just have our little cocoon right and so 
you know, anyways, here we have the younger generation with a parasol walking in. Cressy. Cressida. <laughs> hey. How are ya? Thank you. 
Before rudely interrupted, but yes, you but you know, I mean, and not that. Look, I'm not suggesting that everybody who plays music has to like be Bob Dylan or something, you know, and address the ills of this world. But nonetheless, what I am asking, particularly people who are considering this seriously, you know what I mean, and not just playing for some fun, is. Uh, why are you doing this? What are you trying to do with this? You know, think about it. You know, I mean, have the music serve a purpose, you know, in your life, not just like notes and rhythms, but you know, an, an environment, a, uh, a feeling you're trying to, you know, share with the world, a sound. Right. You know, something bigger than notes and rhythms. Because that element of jazz and even a lot of music, <clears throat> as in the live club scene, has been a lot of it taken out compared to what you grew up with, right? Right, and, and that is why the music sounds different, in my opinion. Right. is like, the music is supposed to be of the environment it's in. Yep. And, you know, when I was playing, we were playing in clubs where lots of people were hanging out, and we did have a certain amount of entertaining to do yep. along with playing, and, you know, and, and that's why the music was a little bit more swinging and, you know, and more direct rhythmically, and you know what I mean, and, and that kind of thing. Um, now... The, the 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 big part of it is either is either um, schools mm -hmm. or clubs where musicians go. Yeah, and they're basically very listening oriented. You right. know, highly listening oriented. They're not necessarily part of a bigger. They are the focal point. Right. They're not part of the whole. As you know, what I mean. So no one's growing up with any of those skills. Mm. You know, so to when you get to the. Coltrane, Charlie Parker, Wayne Shorter level, right. you know, that, that you haven't gone through that world. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I'm not saying it's bad or good, really. I mean, it's I mean, different. I'm not here to say, like, these kids are ruining everything. <laughs> I know what I like and what I don't like, but that's not, that I know that has nothing to do with good or bad. Right. I do know that. I am merely trying to observe sociologically so that I can understand for myself, but also so I can help yeah. young people find their sound. And, and, and I just think that there's not enough thought process into what we're doing and why. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think there was more of that. Right. Yeah, early in when I was coming up, and maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe you know, I mean, yes, we were doing what we wanted to do, and we loved doing it. But there was ramifications for doing certain things and understandings of how you had to be and what you yeah. had to know and how you interacted with people. And of course, we didn't have access to all the information that people have, and it was not okay to have music on the bandstand unless we were actually reading an original that had been written. Right, so there's band. no charts on stage. Right, so it, it was the assumption everybody learns the music. Yeah. 
And, and now you've got a bunch of people that really don't have to spend their time learning the music. They just learn how to play over the music so they get a lot better. Because, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot more time to do something else. Right. And I'm not saying this is true of everybody, but I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of feeling like it's in, in much the way the tribalism affects all of our world. You know, you like this or you like this. You're a red, you're a blue, you're a... This you're this person, you know what I mean? It's like I'm feeling that the music is sort of becoming more isolated, yeah, from everything, including everything, including the world around it, in yeah. order to create its own little, own little self self uh, fulfilling thing, you know. And well, social media kind of helps that, yeah, because you got your friends on social media, and, and and how do you break out to a new group of people? You really can't in social media. It's just like. You basically just you're preaching to the same people. Same maybe people, the, yeah. maybe it's a widening circle to a certain extent, yeah. but not really like wow, I'm going to interact with that circle. Bang, and, you know. And I guess that time, like when artists were speaking out and like through their music expressing what was happening in the time, that was it was being projected around the world because it was on the radio, it was on the charts or whatever, and it was being now that whole side of that industry has changed so much. Even if right. artists are trying to do that now, th- that's not what and, 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 they want. And again, that's just a difference. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying better or worse. It's just a difference. We don't have that sort of uh, melting pot place no. where stuff comes from. Now it all comes from little places that you already know about. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you'd think with the internet we could have access to everything and anything. And we do, but at the same time, really... You just end I, up you end up getting your, your own, own little echo, echo chamber, you know. Oftentimes, because I see the same because of algorithmic, the same yeah, uh, because the of algorithmic, <coughs> you know, events. I don't know what they're what you. I like about. one thing, and then I see it another ten yeah. times <coughs> all the time. And right, like, and and you know, whereas if you were walking down the street because you like going to clubs. And you know, like there's this club, okay, and you walk down, then there's another club. Well, that's cool. And there's another club. Oh, that's you know. I mean, it just sort of happens. To, it just happens to you. Yeah. You're out in the world, bouncing around like an atom, yep. and you're coming in contact with all these cool things. Uh, and that just doesn't seem to happen anymore. And and in so doing, it it doesn't encourage us to break out, break out of our scene, to try new things, to to contemplate. Something like, well, what am I doing here yeah. with this? Yeah. You know, and there are a lot of people who I think really are. Yeah, uh, some young musicians, you know, who are doing some really cool, different things, telling a personal story. You know, not really trying to be part of the tribe, but they're being themselves. Yeah. You know, and and that's what I really loved about jazz. Is like all the musicians were so individual. Yeah, there were there were. And, and some of the individuals were really funny because like, I knew one guy coming up who was like John Coltrane in about the late fifties. That was that was that was all he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he you'd hear him, and it was just like listening to one of those old prestige records, you know, of Coltrane. I mean, it was so dead on. Well, this beautiful. guy just this saxophone that was his thing. Right. But in a weird way, that's kind of original too. Right. Because Coltrane even couldn't do that. Coltrane moved on. You know right, what I mean? right. This guy is just this, this, this whacked out guy who's fixated by this one artist in this one time, and he embodied that. And that's kind of a quirky, cool 
you know, individual right. thing too when you think about it. Yeah. Being that it was retro at the time, and we're talking, this was the late 70s that I played with them. Yeah. So that music was already 20 years old. 20 years, yeah. You know, and that guy wasn't much more than 30. You yeah. Know, so, I mean, it was that, it's, that's kind of cool to yeah. me. You know, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with anything, really. You know, I just want people to think about what are we doing here? What, you know, I mean, it's, we're, we're accelerating into something. It's obvious. And we're the we're the artists, we're the musicians. We're, shouldn't we be commenting on things or shining light on new things, you know? Or and kind of and, and in so doing, don't we want to kind of make it a more a bigger community so that we can affect positive change in the world? I don't know, and, you know. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with just going and playing a fun gig either. You yeah, know? I mean, I'm not yeah. saying you have to like, oh fuck, now he's talking about me being responsible for the fucking world. I just want to play a gig, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's people listening to this going, "I'm going to go play a fucking wedding now." And Bruce wants me to change the world at the yeah. wedding. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't don't uh, don't hit on the bride. Okay. <laughs> You're going to do a, a cafe gig, and it's like they get and, up and, and make a know, speech. And I know, and, I know, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, it's. it's these are good things to think about, even if you don't act on them, even if you find them bullshit. They, they shouldn't be things that are off your radar. No. No. I think, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just consumed with something weird. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, that those tacos I ate last night. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I think it's, yeah, I mean, just, it seems... It's just ch all changed so much and so quickly. And I don't think this rabbit hole we're all heading down is, I think we're slowly starting to find out there's a lot of, there's a lot of negative shit and there's going to be a lot of repercussions to this information highway that we're on. And yeah, we, I don't think we know. We'll probably in 50 years time, we'll look back and go, wow, this is such a well, growing yeah, period, right? Yeah, I mean, really. And, 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 but the beautiful thing is we're living in it. This is amazing. Yeah. We are living in a period of unbelievable change yeah. and really rapid change <clears throat> because of technology. Yeah. And, um, and the effects it has. And in many ways, it's, you can look at it as a horrible thing, but you can also look at it as an amazing opportunity to observe and actually, in periods of change, that's when people really can be innovators that make great things happen. Yeah. Because that's, it's so fluid that, you know, yeah. it takes less inertia to get things going. And yes, people will look at this, and uh, it's been exciting, you know, all the, watch all this happen. I do think that the problem often, my, my fear with technology is that uh it's it's such a wonderful tool for so many ways but it's also so fraught with people commercializing it just using it you know i mean let's face it the the tribalizing the 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 ability to put you your you algorithmically in a in a group mm. makes you easier to sell shit to yeah and and it's isolating and, and, us and, and, and it isolates you be so 
that they can sell you things. Some people want to make you afraid of other things so that they can sell you things. Some people maybe you want to think that you'll be more attractive to your group if you have the, you know, and if, if that is the whole reason we get our information in these social media bubbles, yeah. then that, you see, that's the danger I see, is that it's actually doing the opposite of creating community. It's yeah. trying to isolate and then capitalize. How is it social media? I probably speak, I hang out with less people than I probably ever have. Well, that's the other thing is, is you're getting social juice sitting in your house. Yeah. So you don't go out. Yeah. And then you don't really, and, and nobody, come on, do you, are you really your honest self on Facebook? No one is. No one is. I mean, and you're, and you're, you're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Of all the people I know, you're pretty close. But still, you know, I mean, of course, we all, you know, it's for, for various reasons. We want people to think this of us, or we want people to think that of us, or we really think this person's a shithead, but we don't want to say it because we just don't want to get into a fight over it, you know. Right. Whereas if we were in a bar, we'd just be cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. But also, you brought up a good point the other week. We were, t- we were talking and about the Facebook and all that kind of stuff, and just majority of people post all the wonderful things that's happening in their life on Facebook and can be very depressing if you go on Facebook and start just surfing around and you get sucked into it and you you start thinking everybody's doing so well and everyone's I'm doing so well what am I doing right yeah and it can be depressing right but you're only seeing their bullshit for one day that you know we all put our try and put our best foot forward right and they're they're also doing the same because because right now they're not doing it they're putting it on facebook yeah think about it yeah the minute you're putting it on facebook you're not doing it anymore no you're putting it on facebook that's what you're doing but i think it's weird (laughs) yeah it's weird why are you posting it do you want everybody to think you're great do you really want to share something with people I mean, really, I mean, ask yourself, yeah. you know, how much, you know, I'm sure that there are all these dynamics at play, but, you know, how much am I trying to really, like, going to be cool, you know, and how much am I really, everybody needs to know about this, this is so great, yeah. you know, and I mean, uh, I want everybody to feel how great I feel. Yeah. Well, you know, really, you know, then, you know, the... It's, I mean, it's, a, it's just the way we interact now. And, and so, in many ways, the ability to connect with so many people has made us really not connecting with anybody yeah. on certain levels. And, you know, that's just what it is. I've, I mean, how will that affect the, the music you play, though? That's the real important thing here. I think I'm, I, the more I see that on Facebook, I find for myself, I post less personal stuff because I almost want to go against the grain. And I don't want to share my personal life as much. It's because it's like all you people sharing everything. It's like, I know. Yeah, but, but you see, that's for you. That's your yeah, choice. I mean, that's always been my choice. But th- don't get me wrong. My ego comes into play sometimes when something great happens or I do something great or I have a great experience. My first inkling is, oh, yeah, I need to share this. And I'll stop myself and go, no. I need to share this with myself and my family and my right. friends who's around me at that right, time. But right. I don't need to, You're look right. at me, look at me, how many likes well, am I going to get? If, if, you know, I mean, again, for me, social media is not really the purpose of social. I mean, if my dog dies, I don't put a picture of him on, you know, all the people who know and love my dog will know. I let them know. I don't put 
you know, pictures of him on, or, you know, I mean, I don't want just random people saying, oh, sorry, you know, and I appreciate that, that I'm getting sympathy. That to me is personal, you know, I just, it's about my gigs. If I have something funny to say, you know, if it's, it, that's what I'm using that, that portal, that platform for. But yeah. th- th- that being said, the person who says, you know, it's my anniversary, it's my, uh, it's my, you know, my mother died, you know, I mean, uh, the baby took a poop, you know, whatever. I mean, if it's the, if that's what they want to use it for, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Too. You know, I mean, it's, there's no, yeah, there's no the judgment. But it's is, just is everybody's again, yeah, because we're all not together. Yeah, we're all operating in different platforms, and not really, you know, communicating. Because yeah. I mean, if we're sitting at a bar together talking, you know. If you're really excited about something, you share it and you are excited and the person gets it, you yeah. know? And I mean, if you're talking about your business, they get that it's about business. You're talking about your baby had a poop, you know? And I mean, well, you better fucking make that a really interesting story because no one's going to really listen to you, right? Yeah. I mean, so that's where, you know, everybody's using that that thing for a different reason. Some people are just lonely. Yeah. Some people are narcissistic. Yeah. Some people are promoters you know business people some people are comedians some people are really archivists you know they really go out and find great stuff and post it so that other but other people will see it there are many i those are some of my favorite people on facebook but that i can can trust them like they're going to put something up every day that i'm going to go like god that made my life better i see some really cool shit Yeah, yeah i see some really cool shit and i'm like when does this person get time to do this? Well, that's their thing. That's yeah, their, that's their that's amazing. And I just, I just wish more of us, and maybe this is even rooted in business, but I just wish more of us hung out together yeah. and, and, and interfaced with each other and supported each other in a live way, you know, where, where we went and heard people play music in the moment and experienced it and were part of it and shared it and encouraged it yeah and um and we all did it for each other yeah in a really kind of wonderful way i, I guess i'm pining for that and it wasn't and it was never that way even back right in my lifetime so i just want to say it was may have may, may have been more uh, may have been better at one time in my lifetime See? but it was never really like the utopia that i'm trying to trying to create but i want to create that in the yeah. world somehow why not and I don't know how, but I'm going to try. You know, when I was growing up with my mum and dad, because dad was a musician of all cause that, but we would have people constantly popping in, dropping by. People just unannounced, getting off, oh, come here, Carl, come over for a cup of tea, come over yeah. for a cup of coffee, whatever. That happened all the time. It's here. Oh, he's here? Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, we're going to end well, this show end abruptly, there. but you how know. How rude. You know. <laughs> I'll be right out. See you in a sec. All right, we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump. Uh, remember Patreon. Uh, we're gonna the, the the Barney Kessel picks. We got some giveaways that we are going to be giving out, doling out to Patreon people, right? Yes, we have got. We gonna we got gifts to give to other people that we have announced that are wiz- winners. Bruce is gonna go out and get our special guest. Yes, and we'll see you next week or whatever week it is. And sorry if we we weren't funny or happy or interesting <laughs> enough. I'm sure you're used to it by now. Yeah, uh, Bruce is going to go get our guest. I'm going to just let everyone know that uh, our winners that were announced, their prizes are still coming. 
But we are going to be giving uh, Patreon uh, members uh, the chance to win the pedals. We've got a bunch of Wireworld stuff. We've got Left Coast workshop pedals that uh, Jim gave us and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, yeah. And I think with, before I get, Bruce cut me off because he had to go run and get this guest. But uh, what I was saying is that uh, people don't pop in anymore. I miss the pop in. I, I grew up with a lot of people popping in. Here, I, I just noticed that you have to organize it and everyone's schedule and that's where I was going with that, but we've obviously moved on. <laughs> but anyway, I'm really excited about this next guest and uh, wait for next week for that. Have a fantastic week. Be safe. And yeah, let's try and get together. I know I've been saying that with some other friends and we need to make that happen and just get together, drink and be merry and play guitar. I like that idea. All right. Uh, I'm going to go get ready for this really cool guest and we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one, mates and ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm.